to take our Bible tonight and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And uh, I want to finish a thought that I kind of began this morning. Revival always takes place during the darkest times. And I want to share with you tonight what happens when revival does take place. Revival takes place when God's people go to pray, and it takes place as God begins to anoint His Word. But there's some things that really take place when God just invades the place with His Holy Spirit. And that's what I really want us to, to, to look at tonight and major on so we can know what to pray for. There's some things that I think we ought to be praying for that God would do in our midst. And so let's notice Acts chapter 2, and we're going to notice verses 1. Uh, down through verse 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, at the beginning of the book of Acts, the church was in great need. One of the reasons that they were in great need was because of their great failures. Did you realize the great failures that the, that the disciples had experienced on the night before the crucifixion? One of the greatest failures that I think that took place on the night before Jesus was crucified was the fact that the church was so divided. You remember that when Jesus was pouring out His heart and sharing about the Lord's Supper and sharing about the Holy Spirit and sharing about the fact that He was going to the cross, that the disciples, they were arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, now that was a real failure on their part. Here Christ was just pouring out His heart and they're arguing about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of God? Not only did they have that failure, but a little later on, their devotion to Christ was revealed. Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, and He went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and He told those three disciples, Fellas, my heart is breaking. My, my heart is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. I know that the cross is coming and I know that what I'm going to experience at the cross is just going to be a great burden to me. Fellas, would you pray with me? And they couldn't last one hour. It's, it's almost like being in a, in a Baptist church service sometimes, isn't it? Hmm? But Christ began to pour out His heart. And you know, I'm persuaded they missed a real blessing to see the, the agony and the fervency and, and the sincerity with which Christ prayed. But they couldn't stay awake. Their devotion to Him was very shallow. And, and it was seen just a little later on when the enemies of Christ came to get Him and to carry him off to trial. There was no spiritual boldness in their lives whatsoever. They ran. And later on, not only did they run, but Peter even denied knowing Jesus. You know, that could have been a wonderful opportunity for Peter to, to witness to that crowd there at, at, the, at the fire, but he didn't. Instead, he denied even knowing Christ. And you know, these failures filled these disciples with so much guilt 
that after the resurrection, do you remember that Peter said to some of them, hey fellas, let's go back to fishing. And there was a great group of them that followed him. You know, guilt will do something to us. The devil will say to us because of guilt, you're not worthy to be a follower of Christ. You're not worthy to be used of Jesus. I mean, you're not, you're not, you can't even do what he's called you to do. And one of the things that we need to do is to keep our sins forgiven and keep short accounts with God so that the devil doesn't use guilt to ruin us. These men face that. I think they were also in need because of Jesus' absence. You remember the Bible says that as they, they walked with Jesus to the Mount of Olives, that He ascended back into the Father. And folks, that's where Jesus is today. Do you realize what Jesus is doing today for us? The Bible says that He is making intercession for you and for me. What Jesus did when He ascended back into the Father, He, he launched His own intercessory prayer ministry for us. Now that gives me a lot of comfort to know that Jesus is praying for me. There have been a lot of times, and I'm sure you've experienced, that you've said, I I've got this great prayer request on my heart, and people say, all right, great prayer request, and then they don't pray for you. Have you ever experienced that? Folks, listen, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, even the Bible says that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So it, it really excites me to know that Jesus is praying for me because, folks, I need it. I still remember the night when I surrendered to preach and Brother Hyde had me standing in front of the, the church and everybody came by and shook my hand and said, oh, this is so wonderful that Brother, Brother Mike surrendered to preach. And I still remember there's a little red-headed lady that came down the aisle and she grabbed me by the hand and she said, Brother Mike, I'm going to pray for you because if there was ever a person that needed it, it's you. I really hope she's still praying for me because if there's ever a person that needed it, it's still me. Isn't it marvelous that Jesus can pray for us? And, and here these men were, when Jesus ascended unto the Father for His prayer ministry, He had led them for three years. He had taught them for three years. He had corrected them for three years. How do you replace Jesus as your pastor? Now, one of the one of the wonderful blessings about being a pastor is I've never had to serve on a pastor search committee, and, and and I've never been the member of a church that didn't have a pastor. Isn't that great? But you know, I've seen churches have great pastors and they leave and the church falls apart. That could have happened with these men. After all, what better pastor could you have than Jesus? Hmm? And so these men were kind of in a need. Now, Jesus had ascended unto the Father. He had taught them for three years. He had preached to them for three years. He had corrected them. He had loved them. He had led them. He had ministered to them. Now he was gone. Man, there was a need that was there. But I think one of the greatest needs they had was when Jesus ascended unto the Father, He gave them a mission. And the mission was to share the gospel with every creature on the planet. Now, He gave them a mission and they didn't have radio and TV to carry that out. He gave them a mission, and they didn't have an automobile to, to make a quick trip over to Corinth and back. He gave them a mission, and these men didn't have PhDs behind their names, or D-men behind their name, or BA, or BS, or whatever. They just didn't have that. 
Can you imagine what they had to do? At first glance, you would think, boy, this is going to be a tough thing to do. You know, when you think about it today, if we were to leave here tonight, and let's say that you were to move to Abilene, you'd have a lot of churches to choose from, right? Or if you were to leave here tonight and move to Midland or Odessa, there'd be a lot of churches to choose from. Or if we were to leave tonight and go to New Orleans, there'd be a lot of churches down in New Orleans. But in biblical times, there was one church at Jerusalem. They were going to have to go start a church at Antioch. They were going to have to go start a church at Bethlehem. They were going to have to go start a church in Rome or at Corinth and Athens and all of these other places. Jesus had gave them a really tough mission. Hadn't he? And so here these men were. Before Pentecost, they're divided. Before Pentecost, they weren't as devoted as they needed to be before Pentecost. Now Jesus was ascending unto the Father. And so with this great need, you know, the church did the only reasonable thing. What the church did is they met together and they prayed for ten days. Now you would think they'd have all of these plans together and go to the news. But no, with, with all of the great needs that they were experiencing, the Bible says that they met together in the upper room and they prayed for ten solid days. And at the end of that ten day period, the Bible says God poured out His Spirit upon them. And folks, that's revival. Revival is when God pours His Spirit out upon us, when God invades our life and when God empowers our life. And I want you to notice what took place when that, when that happened. Notice what took place when that revival came. First of all, when revival comes, the church will experience unity. Now, up until Pentecost, this church had been fragmented. They'd been divided. You know, like most divisions in a church, the, the division comes because of pride and selfish ambition. Very few church divisions come today over doctrine. Now think about that. Very few of them do. Very few church fights come because somebody walks up to the pulpit and beats the daylights out of the preacher. Hmm? Have you ever seen that happen? Come on, have you? No, I heard about it one time, but I've never seen it happen. Most of the time, what happens when a church has division, it's because of these disciples wanting to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Folks, that's what causes problems in the church. And anytime you see selfish ambition and pride in a church, you'll also see a critical spirit towards somebody who might be a rival. Listen, dear friends, when we come to church, the Bible says that we're to be co-laborers together. And whatever we're doing, we're to encourage that person that's doing it. If someone's singing a special, we're to be praying for them and encouraging them, even if they sing better than we do. Amen. Hmm? And if somebody's teaching a class, we're to encourage them and pray for them and, and stay awake. <laughs> Even if they don't teach as good as we might could, we're to encourage them. The same thing is true in every aspect of the gospel because folks, listen, we are not here to exalt self. We're here to exalt Christ and we are co-laborers together with Jesus. I think sometimes anytime you see selfish ambition and pride, you'll also see an unforgiving spirit exhibited towards someone who might be a competitor. Folks, let's, let's understand this. God 
doesn't want us to be competing with each other. God wants us to be serving together with each other. And that's not only true for the membership of this church. Folks, that's true for all of our churches in town. We're not competing with Fifth Street. Folks, if they have a great Sunday and have 15 people saved next week and break their record attendance, don't get jealous of that. Praise God for it. They're reaching somebody. That same thing ought to be true with First Baptist. It ought to be true with Second Baptist. We don't have a third, do we? But you know, we're co-laborers together with Christ. And we ought to rejoice when we see what God's doing in other churches and praise God for it. Because when a church is divided, we'll forget our mission. You know, when a church is divided over a personality conflict, we'll forget that the one that's to be honored in the church is Jesus. My dear friends, let's understand something. We're not here to honor the preacher. We're not here to honor the deacons. We're not here to honor the music director. We're here to honor Christ. And the prayer that every believer ought to have when we come into the church is Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Christ is the one that's to be honored. I think also in a divided church, we're divided over a personality conflict. We'll forget that Jesus has called us to be Servants. Do, do we call the preacher a minister? Hmm? What is a minister? He's someone that serves, is he not? Did you know that one of the offices that we have in the church is the office of a deacon? You know what the word deacon means? Servants. So if the two offices in the church are servant and servant, what does that make everybody else? Servants. We're all servants. In the Greek language, it's literally the idea that, that we're to be a bond slave to Christ. We don't have any rights. We don't have the right to be exalted. We have the right to serve and minister to one another. That's what God's called us to do. And if we're not careful, a divided church will forget that not only are we to be servants, but a divided church will forget that the priority that we're to have is to see lost people saved. That's the real priority. Seeing people saved. Now, you know, revival can change all of that. This 10-day prayer meeting in this church, you know what it did? The Bible says after the 10 days were over, they were all together. That, that would be a miracle in most churches, wouldn't it? Do you know what would happen if every member of College Avenue Baptist Church showed up next Sunday morning? We'd be bringing chairs in. Amen? Now, that'd be a miracle to start with. And they were all together and they were all in one accord. They were all getting along. What a great miracle that took place in this church when revival fell, when the Holy Spirit fell. And dear friends, I believe that when a group of people turn to God with all of their heart, God can change that heart. And the result is that we will love those whom God loves. And folks, God loves some very unlovable people. Have you ever noticed that? Hmm? I, I love to eat, and most of you know that. Most of you can see the evidence of that. But there's one food that I really don't like. Somebody yell it out to me. Liver. How many of you love liver? See, I love y'all in spite of that. 
And I love you in spite of that because God loves you. And the next time we get a load of livery in, I'll call every one of you to my house. Amen. And I'll watch. You know, we, we've all got different likes in this church. We're all different kinds of people in this church. But see, the thing is, we're to love those whom God loves. And that is the reason that we can have unity, is because I'm going to love the one God loves. And, and God, because God loves some very unlovable people, that means I'm going to have to love the ones that are very unlovable. And that love for those whom God loves will cause us to serve them instead of use them. And I believe that a, that a love for those that God loves will cause us to forget because we can't stand the thought of being out of fellowship with someone that God loves. That's the idea here. Now, when God's people get down to business with God and prayer and revival comes, there will be a love and a unity in the church. Now, folks, if you have a revival service and the end result of that revival service is there's a big fight in the church, that wasn't a revival. Revival unites the people of God around their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's notice secondly, though, that when, when a church experiences revival, evangelism is taken seriously. Folks, when this church here experienced revival, did you realize that 120 people saw 3,000 people converted in one Lord's Day? Now, wouldn't that be neat? We have about 30, 35 people here tonight. And if we were to use that same kind of math, next Sunday we'd see 1,500 people saved. Or 1,000. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful that we had such an explosion of evangelism that the pastor's feet were all wrinkly because of he stayed too long in the baptistry? Hmm? Wouldn't that be neat? That'd be wonderful. And when revival falls, the people of God are going to take evangelism seriously. When the, when the Holy Spirit grips, gets a grip on our life, for one thing, we're not going to be intimidated by the world. Did you realize the reason that Peter denied the Lord three times was because he was intimidated to take a stand for God? He was afraid. But on the day of Pentecost... After he had been empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter wasn't afraid anymore, was he? And Peter looked at some of the very people that had been in the fire. Peter looked at some of the very people that had screamed and called out for Jesus' crucifixion. And Peter got in their face with his finger and said, You have crucified the Lord of glory! You need to repent! What happened? What took this man from being a coward to being bold as a lion? He had been endued with power from the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, listen. It is the Holy Spirit who will give you the boldness to witness. And that boldness will only come as we spend time with God in the prayer closet. Now, folks, there's no other way to get boldness with God except by spending time with God. John the Baptist was bold. You know why? Because he spent all of his time out in the wilderness with God before he showed up in public to preach. Now, he was probably not a very tactful person because he hadn't been around a lot of people. But he was bold for God. In Acts chapter 4, the church once again began to pray for boldness. And when they prayed for boldness, the Bible says the place was shaken. 
that they were bold to preach for Christ. Folks, listen. Prayer's the key to revival and the key to boldness for witnessing. And when revival comes, we won't be intimidated by the world. It's got to come through prayer. But let's also notice that when, when a church experiences revival, the Holy Spirit will take our witness and convert the lost. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has the power to convict even the hardest hearts? Now, now think about our world for just a minute. How many of you prayed for Saddam Hussein? And how many of you prayed for him like this? God, I just pray that you would send someone to kill Saddam Hussein. How many of y'all prayed like that? Come on, let's be honest. I mean, very few of us prayed like this. Lord, it would be such a marvelous miracle if you would send someone and that guy got converted. We didn't pray like that, did we? Hmm? Remember during, during all of the crisis that Bill Clinton was going through with LaMonica Lewinsky? I guarantee you church folks weren't praying for his salvation, were they? No. You're praying for him to get fired, right? We weren't praying for him to get saved. But can you imagine what a witness it would have been had he went on television and said, Folks, listen, I know I messed up there, but I've got some even better good news to say because God's just saved me by His grace. Wouldn't that produce revival in America? In the early church, did you know that their greatest, most antagonistic enemy, you know what God did to him? God saved him. The Apostle Paul. God did such a work in Paul's life, the church didn't even believe it. You remember when Paul came to join the church? The church was, no, nah, we ain't letting him be a member of our church. I have one time in the last 40 years seen the church turn somebody down for membership. They were going to turn Paul down to Barnabas got involved. God can save even the hardest hearts, can He not? God can open up the most receptive heart as He opened up Lydia's heart as she came to know Christ as Savior. And the Holy Spirit even had power to save those who crucified Christ. Folks, listen. Our need today is to see the Holy Spirit move in your hearts. That's the need. We just need God in the church again. We just need Him. And then let's notice that revival will change the moral fabric of the community. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul went and preached at Ephesus, God changed the hearts of the people of Ephesus. As a result, that community turned from the sins that had polluted their, their community life. The Bible says that the magicians burned their books of magic. Now folks, the way to change the hearts of people living in the community is for the Holy Spirit to change those hearts by bringing them to Christ where Christ can save them. And when people have their hearts changed, those individuals will change their community because their changed life will change their community. Now, now folks, uh, bless their hearts, I, I appreciate all of the, the, the ways that people want to change their communities by protest and, and marches. But folks, Christ never changed a community with a protest or a march. He changed them one-on-one -on -one as He changed people's lives. As, as their hearts were turned to Christ. And, and folks, the need of moral change is tied to the church proclaiming Jesus. You know what we've tried to do in churches? 
Y'all wake up, I'm almost through. You know what we try to do in churches? We tried to change the outward man without changing the inward heart. We'd get lost people in the church and we'd look back and, you know, that lost person needs to get a haircut. Get him to give his life to Christ. Amen? That lost person needs to wear a different kind of clothes. They, you don't need to come back to our church until you change your clothes. Folks, listen. Why should we expect lost people to live like saved people? They need a heart change. Come on, isn't that true? Well, that just old drunkard, he needs to give up his alcohol. He will if he has a heart change to Christ. Come on, isn't that true? I was out visiting one night with my youth minister when I was at Coram Baptist Church, and we drove by a house and mobile home. There's a guy sitting out there, and he, he didn't have a shirt on. He's smoking a cigarette with Budweiser in his hand. And he was rough looking. And so I pulled the car and my youth man said, why are we going here? I said, that, that, that guy didn't look like our type. I said, that guy's exactly our type. He needs Jesus. Amen. Stopped and talked to that old man. He was nice and as gracious as any church member I'd ever had. He didn't give his life to Jesus that night, but he did, was receptive to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my dear friends, you know why our world is going to hell? It's going to hell because a lot of us feel like we're too good to talk to sinners. Hmm? And they're the very people that need Christ. We're not going to change the world until we come down and associate not, not in, a, in a way that we lose our, our distinctiveness as Christians, and, but until we associate and tell lost people about Jesus. And the need is for revival, an awakening where people's lives are changed. Now, folks, revival will totally change an individual. It'll totally change a church. It'll totally change a community. And we just need to pray that God would pour out His Spirit in the church. I have seen real revival one time in, in, in my ministry. Now, I've seen God pour out his mercy drops of blessing, and I'm so grateful for that, aren't you? But for 13 weeks in our little church in East Texas, we saw revival. We'd see people, I, I'd drive up to the church building during the day, there'd be people praying at the altar. That there, there were people at, at church almost constantly. And, and I would go to church and there'd people, people coming out of the choir loft. How many going to get saved today, Brother Mike? How many going to get saved? All three or four? Okay, great. And we'd always, we were having people saved for 13 weeks. Sunday morning, Sunday night. And we were even having folks saved <clears throat> on Wednesday night. We had a drug addict just driving off the street, said, I don't know why I'm here, but I know I need something. And he gave his life to Christ and we baptized him. Believe it or not, we baptized the mayor. And one morning during our church services, as I got up to preach, God's spirit just fell on that church. God just invaded that church, and I didn't even get to finish my message for you. A little girl got up and said, I can't wait to the invitation. Can you tell me how to be saved now? I started saying, sit down. I'm having to do no. Folks, that's what God wants to do in his church. Our folks didn't get crazy. They didn't run around pews. They didn't swing from the chandeliers or, you know, or anything like that. God just invaded the church with His Spirit. And God changed some people's lives. And that's what God wants to do. That should be the normal experience in God's church.
and it comes one simple ingredient when God's people pray. When God's people pray. The Bible says that we're to come boldly before the throne of grace. When is the last time you came boldly and said, God, you know, I've been a member of this church for years. We need to see about three people saved next week. God, I'm not going to quit praying until we see those three folks get saved. I don't know who they are, but I'm going to pray for that. You know God will answer a prayer like that? God, I, 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 I've been here a long time, and, and God, what we need to see is some enthusiasm in our folks. So God, just, just sick them. And make them uncomfortable till they get excited about you. God, there, there, there's 6,000 people that, or 8,000 people in Leveland who don't know you as Savior. Lord, just by your mighty spirit like you did in John the Baptist day, just get them up and bring them here. Just, just use the spirit like a magnet to bring folks into this building so they can hear about Jesus. Did you realize that when you begin to pray for God to do things that only God can do, God wasn't too long ago, and Ricky even shared that with you. I was praying, Lord, just bring somebody in here we hadn't visited, and he was doing it. Wasn't he? And, and I began to do that again a couple of weeks ago, and we've had two, two or three different families coming in here. Now, folks, if you'll join me in that before it's over, they'll outnumber us. Wouldn't that be neat? This could be the church of the visitation. Without the visitors outnumber the members. Wouldn't that be good? Lord willing, see him get saved. We just need to pray to God. Father, we thank you tonight for revival. We thank you tonight that you're the God of revival. And we thank you tonight that you can do a work on us. So, Father, we just pray now that you would just pour out your spirit upon us. Father, change us. Father, I pray that you change me, that you burn away all of the all of the draws, all of the, the unnecessary. Father, help us just to concentrate on what you would have us to do. You have us to do. Father, I just pray that you do your work as only you can do. It's in Jesus' name. Now, folks, I want to ask you to very quietly, very reverently stand.